Hello and welcome to Frock Flicks, the historical costume movie podcast. And I'm your host, Tristan L. Bast, with our original Broadway recording cast of... Kendra! Sarah! Woohoo! And three kittens! Yay! We're very excited about the kittens. And today, the kittens and I, and all of us, are podcasting about Wings of the Dove. I don't know. Actually, no. <laughs> so yes, we get sound effects. So uh, we're going to start off with a little background info on the movie, which Kendra's going to provide. Okay, so just a little bit about the, the movie. So it's based on a novel by Henry James that was published in 1902, um, and it's about a love triangle. Basically, uh, the original novel is a very much about... Um, repression and the threat of modern freedom. So the character of Kate Croy, that would be a cat jumping. The character of Kate Croy is sort of this threatening modern sexuality kind of thing. Um, and so the director, Ian Softly, I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, it's not like he's going to come and correct he you. Might he might. He, he might. He might find out where we live and beat us up. So he wanted to refocus the novel through a contemporary prism of psychologically probing storytelling. Anyway, he wanted <laughs> to talk. <laughs> Can I interject? Yes. What year was this done in? Because there have been oh, multiple yes. Wings of the Doves. Oh, yes. Yes. 96, right? Or 97? So this is, this 96. Is the, this is the version with Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. So we're just setting that up. Anyway, so yeah, okay. he wanted to bring it into So the director wanted to update and do a very modern take in a way, obviously still staying historical, but he wanted to sort of reinterpret Henry James's story. So he was interested in people who are who are at odds with the conventions of the period that they're in, and he also wanted to bring in um, more of the sexual erotic element, not in like an erotique sort of thing, but There's to get at the tension. tensions yeah. and repressions and those sorts of things. Um, he also wanted to sort of better um, humanize uh, the character of Kate Croy. Apparently in the novel, she's much more sort of ruthless and cold-hearted and he wanted to sort of get into some of the the conflicts uh that she would have been in experience and sort of and her psychological makeup that would make her a more fully fleshed human being um so those are kind of the main uh things going on in terms of that the one other thing that i was interested in was that the uh again the time piece or the the time of the original book was published in 1902 um, and the director decided to move it up to 1910 and I was wondering well just why is it just <laughs> were there a whole bunch of Edwardian movies coming out or something but according to him he wanted to bring the story more specifically to the beginning of the 20th century the very beginning of modern times and this is a quote from the director Visually, 1910 was completely different from a decade before. Electricity was suddenly more prevalent. The London Underground had just been built. And fashion was changing dramatically. There were revolutions and changes all around. It was the beginning of the modern world as we now recognize it and the beginning of the way we act within it. So I think he's trying to contrast that modern sensibility and sort of the, the germs of that sort of origin within this more repressed Victorian society. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, like, why did he mm -hmm. bump it up? Because there was a lot of, you know, early Edwardian movies coming out. And actually, this movie was contemporary oh. with Titanic. Yes. Right. Another, you know, the set big in James Cameron. Right. Titanic. Set in 1912. Right. Yes. Yeah, 1912. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and of course, Swings of the Dove came out also in 1997. And it was set in 1910. And, of course, they ended up contending for a lot of Oscar nominations, Best Actress, Best Cinematography, 
Also, of course, best costume design. And talking about the costume design, this was done by um, Sandy Powell, right? Our Ooh. other favorite uh, costume designer who who just seems to nail the historical, you know, any history, any historical period you throw at her in in uh, movies, she just does a phenomenal job with. Um, and so she she ended up losing that Oscar nomination to um, Deborah Lynn Scott. Deborah Lynn Scott for Titanic because Titanic which swept I, those those Oscars, which so. I think is a travesty. And yeah. we'll talk much more about the costumes yeah. in a moment. But, but I think that this uh, Wings of the Dove so much more captures what was going on in fashion mm-hmm. versus Titanic, which I think was a bit conservative and stuffy. But let me give you just a little bit more background. So again, Sandy Powell uh, directed or designed the costumes. Um, and she wanted to, t- to obviously, as any probably theatrical costume designer, wants to capture uh, the time, the place, um, and the emotions. So she was really interested in fashion change and how fashion was becoming more looser, expressive, and casual. Uh, the whole sort of change from a real um, tightly fitted, buttoned-up look uh, to a more relaxed and openly sexual style. A lot so, of Orientalism in there. For sure, there's a lot of Orientalism. Yeah. We'll get we'll to that, to that. Yeah, yeah. in a lot more detail. Um, she also was trying to reference how the 20s are sort of coming, that sort of thing. Um, and then also, specifically, when they go to Venice, she wanted to enhance the fact, she says, this is a quote, she wanted to enhance the fact that the characters have been totally removed from the oppression of city life. There is a release and a liberation that is reflected in their flowing, unstructured garments. I was keen to avoid a cream lace look, and instead the costumes in Venice feature lighter, brighter colors and have more of an ethnic North African look. Um, And so she was trying to show that their trip to Venice, again, allowed them to escape from the conventions of London society, um, both dress-wise, but also, of course, what's going on in the dynamic between the three main characters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the story itself is very uh, complicated, kind of convoluted in a lot of ways, emotionally. And the costume, this is one of those those films where the costume really directly meshes and, and reflects a lot of the story. They, they really are, I think, a great mm-hmm. fit together. Absolutely. Uh, and without sort of making it up, like I think Sandy Powell really took... Um, silhouettes, colors, fabrics, all those things that are completely accurate to the era right. and use that strategically rather mm-hmm. than saying, oh, I'm going to put them all in yellow to symbolize, <laughs> I don't know, urine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like Everybody happen. peeing on each other's dreams. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, the, and then, of course, talking about the pissing, you know. Yeah. yeah. Set, set design <laughs> and visual design in this movie yeah. is, is all part of the emotional uh trajectory of the film too again rain we were loving uh, rain as a character rain yeah, really did, yeah. it was the underrated performance yeah of yeah. The film. yeah best you know best supporting uh-huh. actor rain right yeah. uh, was, so yeah, all of these things move move together in this film so i don't think you can talk about um the the plot without talking about the cut co- well we can't yeah. mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure people can but they suck <laughs> that's a different podcast and right. and that's why we have this podcast that's, that's, yeah. that's yes. why we love these kinds of movies yeah. because yeah. It, the well, it, it it's it shows you the importance mm-hmm. and the strength and the meaning of I think costume design. you know another thing is none of us have read the book am i correct that's true yeah. none of us have read i read other henry james but not yeah. this specific and, one so. and i really so i don't i don't have like the baggage that i usually get when i read a book and i think you mm-hmm. know i've got the they've changed yeah, yeah. and i don't i don't really carry that 
with this yeah. movie. So I was, and this is actually the first time I saw this movie. So this was my first experience yeah. with this movie. <gasps> I know. Kendra was no, no, we actually was super. Ex- I had that excitement <laughs> of getting to watch a movie that you adore yeah, yeah. with someone who you know is going to adore it. And it's yeah. so there was a lot of wait. No, you have to. Wait, this is the best sh- scene. Yeah, stop yeah. being so drunk. God, Sarah, pay attention. Put down your phone. Um, so I, I would say, you know, having never seen this movie before, and of course it's almost twenty years old. Um, and of course I've also I've always it known can't about be twenty years old. I just I know. I just saw the theater it's three a few years. years ago. It's seventeen Hush. years old. I'm Hush. getting my oxygen tank stop out. It. Stop Anyways, it. we're all a bunch of old bitches. God. So the point is, though, that watching it for the first time, a doesn't look dated. You know, no, it's, not it's at all. Very timeless. Um, B, the costuming is just just stunning. <laughs> Can I just swear for a minute? Yes, it's fucking uh fucking amazing. Every fucking. single fucking thing. You should have heard us. I mean. Just the opening scene, that fucking blue oh. hat. Tristan and I oh, fighting over this stripy suit. Which, which we like, realized there were two stripy suits. So, so now, so now we can each have one. We've achieved detente. <laughs> exactly. I just oh. call dibs on all the Fortuny gowns. Oh my god, yeah. the Fortuny gowns. <laughs> there are so the, many. The aunt who's in... It's great. She has So she has this aunt who's the controlling figure and wants Kate to marry for money and has pulled her out of this life of poverty. Um, and But... And so you would expect that to be the frilly, stuffy, buttoned-up older character, but instead Charlotte Rampling, the actress who plays her, is dressed in probably the most fashion-forward clothing of any of it. Very bohemian. Amazing, this, like, printed, you know, painted dresses, Egyptian textiles, turbans, like... Oh my and, god! And all of that is great because it shows how that character has this strong. She's a in, strong. She's a very controlling character. She's a very con- independent woman. I mean, she is fashion forward because, which fits because she is this independent woman who is trying to force her niece Kate into uh, a, a different life in to do to marriages potentially that she doesn't want because she's against the uh, Kate and what's his face Merton, um, Merton who is her more working class love who she's known since forever uh, since yeah. before her aunt took her in yeah and so she you know so her her aunt is is visually this woman who is totally you know ballsy you know mm-hmm. she's you can see it just on screen because of what she's wearing. She's wearing these amazing things. Well, and I just had a thought, and, you know, when you go for the, like, not literalism, but the literal figuratism, blah, 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 like, maybe the aunt is shown in being such artistically creative clothing because she's so art- creatively good at manipulating <laughs> Kate. So, despite, you know, true, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Because point. she's so good at it. She's so skillful. I mean, she she's is. a skillful social manipulator. Yeah, and even is. the Lord Mark, or whatever his mm-hmm, name is, Lord points Mark. that out. Yes. So, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, which is, like, the artistic aspect of it, like, talking about the aunt and how she's very, you know, artistic and fashion-forward. And, and this movie has a very strong art historical con uh, kind of con- uh, current undercurrent to it and one of the things of course you see in one uh one portion of the film is they're looking at an exhibition the characters in an exhibition of uh of modern art basically and there's a clamped and it looked like a sheila but it was another one but anyway um and uh, and they they pause before judith sleeping which is a very famous clint por- uh, clamped portrait and at the very end of the movie there's a, there's a part of the there's a, a scene where um, where Helena Bonham Carter's character Kate 
curls up naked on a bed. And it's definitely, again, it's referencing that Klimt portrait, which was, mm -hmm. I thought was really clever. And now yeah. I kind of want to go back and watch and see if there's any other <laughs> art history. Because when they go to, when they go to Venice and mm -hmm. it's one of those things, like you're going to look out and you're going to see, is that like the, uh, uh, was it Canelo? Canelo? I can't, can, I can't remember Canaletto. the, Canaletto. Canaletto. Like, I was thinking, the no, no, who's the early 20th images, century guy who always did, who did the Roman, revival um, paintings are always you know there's urns and and columns and stuff and these women are in these yeah. you know his yeah, interpretation yeah. of Rome. i mean we'll find these we'll, we'll talk about links. well you know somebody will do an art but there's totally a shot of them when they're on the steps yeah. of the church yeah yeah i mean i think i think there's a lot more like art history kind of woven into yeah. the cinematography of this but i just i just found like the the representation of course the very obvious yeah very famous klimt you know, Judith yeah. sleeping, and then of course Helena Bonham Carter at the very end of it is exactly mimicking her pose. Yeah. Um, and that—that that to me, I was like, "Oh, hey!" Well, but I think it's—I think there's a, a subtler undercurrent. Well, and those two it. are, of course, mm -hmm. really tying it together because that first scene is the three of them when um, Kate introduces uh, Millie, the the heiress, the, the American, American heiress, heiress. Is American heiress, and um, her lover. Uh, at the art exhibition, it's the first time that all three of them meet, and then the, and I love the that last she... time that when she's uh, when Helen Baumgartner's character is mimicking that portrait mm -hmm. is when she and her lover are kind of essentially breaking up um, at the very end after Millie's dead. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, sorry, spoilers, Millie spoilers, is, duh. But I mean, Millie yeah. is the third completely in that scene, yeah. even though she's dead. Exactly, she is. Oh, so, and that's the whole point of the ending yeah. being. Yeah. That she, she is the going to always be the third person in the room, She's always, third person yeah. in the relationship. Yeah, so that po that painting is is representative uh, in both of those scenes. So yeah, it ties it all. It ties everything. So and too funny to me <laughs> that she. Uh, Kate is trying to get these two together and that she introduces them in front of a painting of a naked redhead who mm -hmm. obviously looks somewhat like Millie and, yeah. and just plops them in front of a naked woman and is like, oh, chat amongst yourselves. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk about since you guys have talked about your you know, kind of touched on your favorite costumes was my favorite thing about this was the Fortuny, the, the gowns, mm. um, the whole scenes in Venice, the second half of the movie takes place in Venice. And of course, Venice was the, the HQ, the headquarters yes. of Fortuny and his, uh, Fortuny was, per, uh, of course, a very Mario Fortuny. He was a, a very famous Italian, um, fashion designer in the very early part of the 20th century. And as early as 1900, he was, he was starting his, um, his work. He he thought of himself as a painter, though. He thought mm -hmm. of himself as an artist. His father was a moderately successful, even somewhat famous artist of the uh, of the mid nineteenth century, and so uh, Mario Fortuny. Uh, it's Mariano. Mariano. I yeah, think so. Okay. Can anyway, correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, you're right. Fortuny. It's Mariano. I've had a couple of cocktails. Anyways, oh, Fortuny <laughs> had a uh, had a, a very strong desire to sort of follow in that um, painterly artistic. Um, footsteps of his father however he ended up somehow or another getting sucked into textile design and of course he's very famous now we know him solely for his his finely pleated fortuny gowns his delphos gown which was i believe introduced in you know the early 1900s um and it's a it's still a mystery as to how these gowns were were created but they were meant to be worn kind of as tea gowns um they weren't meant to be worn over corsets again this is that early period of the 20th century where the upper crust is sort of dabbling in this idea of getting rid of the strictures of undergarments and being more relaxed and so he was creating he was very interested in creating these natural silhouettes and one of 
you're going to say something? Oh, just that yeah. I think what's interesting, if you've ever seen, I mean, obviously many of you know what mm. these are, but if you don't, if you've ever seen a broomstick skirt, yeah. it's kind of similar. <laughs> yes. Because they're always of this really thin, I would say like a china silk kind they're of very, thing. They're very, yeah. And then the yeah. pleating, they're, so they're pleated really tightly. And then you, um, when you wear it, it, the pleats are going to expand over your curves, but so it can be very relatively um, figure hugging without being like a wiggle dress. Right. And I'm, so I've been obsessed with Fortuny for a number of years. And, and one of the frustrating things is that there's not a lot of information as to how he, he, or how he made his gowns because he had a kind of a, a very proprietary um, patented system. Yeah, it's a secret. It's a trade secret. It's a trade secret. Still is. Uh, There are actually, however, (laughs) this is the interesting thing. Frustrating thing and interesting thing about researching Mario Fortuny is that um, there's sort of this mythos of Fortuny as having the secret to pleating his gowns in a particular way. However, there's actually patents that exist of his his uh, mechanisms that he created to pleat these gowns. Um, they're very they don't give a lot of information as to how um, whether they're heat set in a special way, whether they are wet, you know, and they they dry them in a you know they're pleated in a certain fashion and then heat set um, to to make the pleats stay. We do know things like the pleats actually would over time fall out. Oh, okay. um, they were not broomstick. They were not like you know twisted um, like you would do a broomstick pleat. They were actually probably more akin to um, arashi shibori, which is a Japanese technique of pole-wrapped mm-hmm. um, pleating where you you take, like, you can actually look this up on YouTube. There's a lot mm-hmm. of interesting how, uh, tutorials on how to do it, where you take a, a PVC pipe and um, silk fabric, you wrap it, you wrap the silk fabric around the PVC pipe, it's wet, and then you then you run a cord, you wrap a cord around it, you scrunch the fabric and the cord down, hmm. and then you let it dry, and it creates this very finely accordion pleated type of, of uh, pleat. And another another supposition is that he used, uh, he did uh, another shibori technique, which is, of course, just running... Um, lines of gathering through mm-hmm. the fabric to gather it up and then and then he heat set it or, or wet set and heat set in a specific way to to make the pleats hold their form but it was understood the pleats would actually uh, while being worn you know in the seat area if you sat down they would they would flatten out or if water got on them they would lose their shape so you would be able to send the the dress back to Fortuny's oh. um, workshop in Venice and he would replete the lifetime guarantee yeah exactly there was a lifetime guarantee and one of the I could go on and on forever yes. about Fortuny because I've done a lot of research on it but I will say that the gowns in this particular film are not Fortuny gowns they were actually made and they're not by um, Sandy Powell either they are by a husband and wife team in wales um patricia and charles lester you can look them up at i forget their website but google patricia and and charles lester um they stumbled across this uh i think they do arashi um shibori is is how they make their fortuny gowns or fortuny like gowns um, in the 70s, they just they were experimenting with different shibori techniques, and they just kind of liked the way it looked. Because um, when you when you wrap a shibori um, uh, silk, you can do all these interesting dyeing effects and things with it. But what happened was most people iron the silk out after it's been dyed, and you lose the pleats. Well, this couple kind of liked how the pleats look, took it you know took it apart, and then started making gowns that actually directly mimicked. Fortuny gowns. According to Charles and Patricia Lester, that was unintentional. They actually had no idea about Fortuny at all until people came to them and said, oh my God, this is exactly like what Fortuny gowns look like. And then they kind of made the connection that way. But when Wings of the Dove, of course, in the 90s, um, they apparently supplied the the Fortuny-esque gowns for the film, which was really an interesting thing that I kind of stumbled upon in my research. So. 
Huh. Yeah, that was my info dump. No, that was fascinating. <laughs> Very good. Wow, look, you yeah, heard it here. Yeah, I know, yeah, I actually yeah. did research. Holy shit. That's right. <laughs> So, yeah. And, if, and Patricia and Charles Lester are actually very active on social media, by the way. So awesome. they have a Facebook page. Um, and they still sell their stuff. They are, mm-hmm. they also, Fortuny. The Fortuny yeah, label still, is, still, is still around. It's, still around. it's gone, gone through a renaissance in the last, like, yeah. 30 years. They've been revived. But they do, they still sell. Uh, they do a lot of, like, home furnishings right now. Yeah. They do a lot of lamps and, and pillowcases and fabrics and, and, fabrics yeah, and things fabrics like that. Yeah, fabrics for, like, you can get yeah. your couch done. Yeah. and it'll uh, be insanely expensive. Right, it'll be, like, a million dollars, but, you know, hey, it'll be fortunate. Don't sit on it! Yeah, um, but one of the things that they are <laughs> known for wine. still selling, which are relatively inexpensive, is uh, they still do Fortuny pleated scarves. So you yes. can actually find those on eBay still. <laughs> yes, you can. One of these days I'll get one, and I'll be all sitting there like, how did they do it? You know? <laughs> supposedly, Reverse engineer Yeah, they scarf. supposedly still use the Fortuny patented technique to, yes. to fleet these. Yes, you can so, find those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was definitely all the the Venice section, including the uh, Millie's dying gown. The Millie's dying gown, which yeah. was so pretty. She's yes. in this cream Fortuny pleated gown mm-hmm. on a matching cream damask. Uh, in this room, I swear, couch. hasn't that room been used in for like Vogue photo shoots or I'm something? Sure. It's this, this you whole know, movie's this a Vogue palazzo. Photo shoot. Oh my god. <laughs> So what I really, I did really love the art direction of, of the film, it, both in the Venice section, even the early sections where you have these ball, ballroom scenes, or actually no, they weren't even balls. They parties. Were just parties. Yeah. These parties in these gorgeous rooms. Jesus, with this uh, like. Architecture and... that reflects, that, that coordinates mm-hmm. with the clothing. Where, where, where like so you're going and awing over a dress and they're like, oh my God, I want they, that pillar. They walk by I want that, uh, that mosaic and a mosaic and they coordinate with the clothing it's it's like the art direction and the costume design worked together seamlessly to create this world that reflected the emotions and the comp- the, the the complications that were going on in their in mm-hmm. their heads so it was all one seamless whole there was no I mean, there just wasn't any gaps. There no, was no absolutely. Like, drawbacks. And, I, and it's super random, but I loved the use of the underground. Yes. And, the, or, and I and I don't even know why other than, you know, old-timey trains are cool, but no, but, but that was really cool. But that bit you, you have from the director about wanting to show the yes, modern Yes, the modernism. Role. Does and, Devon Street stop even exist anymore? British friends, let us know. Let yeah. us know. Because that's the, the, the yeah. stop that they have the opening scene yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the underground, there's the bus, there's a lot of yeah. The bus was cute. Yeah, too. I mean, there was a bus. She was on a she's taking she's um, Kate sees Millie go to the doctor's office the first oh, time. Oh right, no, bus. she yeah, she's on a. Was that a bus? I thought there was a. It was up, of up, upper upper oh, upper deck. Okay. Upper deck. Yeah. For some reason I thought that was a carriage. So they really make use of those modern touches. It's definitely you know going with that director's idea of, of showing the modern world and the contrast between the repressed Victorian ideas. And I guess the really repressed idea is the whole, you know, Kate can't live without money. She can't, you know, she can't cut loose. She can't just, because Merton in the beginning says, marry me. Right. Just marry me. Well, and she even gets gets to the point where she's just ready to go do that. But the problem being her aunt has her claws into supporting her father as yeah. well. And so she has that to hold over. Yeah. Her uh, father, Kate. by the way, who is Dumbledore. Yes. <laughs> Michael Gambon. Um, Dumbledore is an opium eater. <laughs> right. It was pretty killer. So. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, I mean, yeah. were there any drawbacks? Was there anything that didn't work in this movie? No. I don't know about that, but I guess the one thing I wanted to elaborate further on was that I think 
not having read the book, but in line, for example, with Vanity Fair, which we've podcasted, mm, yes, adore yes. the Reese Witherspoon movie, and I really enjoy the book. But I'm I'm cool with taking a character that's written somewhat one note, as it sounds like she is in the novel, and readers of the novel, feel free to correct me, but it sounds like she's pre- uh, Kate is pretty darn sort of... Um, Despicable. Yeah, and yeah. cold-hearted and what, and con- contrivy. Anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I appreciated the fact that they made her a real person and with real conflict, so you understand where she's coming from, why these limitations are there. You understand her conflicting emotions. I love how she clearly grows to love Millie, and there's even, like, a very, very slight erotic tension between the two. Or maybe not slight, but it's still small. But an erotic tension between the two, and I was saying as we were watching it, I think that all at the same time, she wants Millie's happiness, she wants Merton's happiness, she wants to run off with Merton, but she also wants Millie and Merton to be happy. She, you know, she and Millie could run off to that, blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's true to how any person is, that we... We can hold multiple desires and emotions and conflicting whatevers all at the same time. Life isn't cut and dry, black and white, one note. I think of her kind of, you know, having not read the book, I think of her a lot like kind of the anti-Emma in the sense that you, you know, Emma was supposed to be written, Emma, of course, by Jane Austen, was supposed to be written as a very despicable character, but she, of course she's trying to give a, um, you know, be play the matchmaker for her friends, and and then, of course, there's all sorts of, you know, shenanigans that ensue as you cannot manipulate people's emotions that way and not, you know, suffer the, the consequences. Um, but I kind of look at, at Kate's character as being sort of the the you know, modern era, cynical version of Emma Mm. in that I think she, and if I had never, if I had never actually read any of the background of the novel and realized that, of course, Kate's character was supposed to be portrayed as kind of a dislikable major character or main character, I would have watched this movie and just assumed that she was doing this as a favor to Merton and to Millie to try to like, you know, Millie's dying and she wants to like, just basically like, like a cat bringing a wounded animal, you know, wounded critter to your front door and saying, here you go. She's bringing Merton to Millie and saying, or vice versa even. And it's kind of just saying, you know, you two get together, make you, you know, make Millie's last days happy. And then Millie will reward Merton and set Merton up. And then I think of course, you know, what the, the ultimate goal in the in the novel is that Kate will reap the benefits thereafter. You know, Merton gets Millie's fortune, but I think in the movie it comes out much more you know nuanced than that. It's almost as if she's trying to say, you know, I can't have Merton, so I'm going to set Merton up with somebody who's going to take care of his life after, and, and it'll be a temporary, a small time period. Merton just you know pays his dues for <laughs> a couple of weeks or months or whatever until Millie yeah. kicks it. But Millie's happy at the end. She yeah. gets, you know, she gets part to of that motivation love. is actually love for yeah, both of them. Now, yeah. I'm not saying, of course, she isn't completely self interested, right. and that that doesn't uh, backfire against her. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, also, I mean, she's the one who sets the unraveling in motion, and that she goes to Lord Mark right. once she feels like she's lost Merton. She goes to Lord Mark and and gives the hint, and he goes in and and out things as she's trying to break it back up. So it's complicated. Things reverse and reverse on themselves yeah. and have unintended con- consequences and all that. But again, to me, it makes it a much more it's pretty realistic. interesting, realistic, enjoyable I... character study than if it was just 
she's a cold-hearted shark. Right. Yeah. She's yeah. very, um, yeah, she's the character of Kate, and especially the, like, um, our our total girlfriend, um, Helena Bonham Carter, portrays her. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever hear this, we love you, uh-huh. Helena Bonham Carter. Uh-huh. You're, you're our platonic. We want to be you. We're, we you're our platonic our ideal. Our ideal of you we want to yeah, be. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. whatever, you could be a total asshole. If you could just give life. us your hair, that'd be good. Dude, really? Give me your hair. Look. Okay, donate it to Tristan, yeah. she needs it. Need um, it. But anyway, like, I, I love the way that Helena Bonham Carter played the character of Kate, because she didn't play it one-dimensionally. She didn't give it a... Uh, you know, a one note performance in that here's there's this uh there's this, you know, machination that she's mm-hmm. Machiavellian kind of manipulation mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes. She's she clearly cares and she's clearly conflict conflicted. And, and feels guilty and about she it feels, as she's doing. She it. feels no matter her decision, you know, no matter what she does, she's fu- she personally is fucked. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so she's kind of thinking, I think that it comes out in the film, it feels like she's really kind of making decisions, um, as in, you know, no matter what I do, I'm screwed. So yeah. what's what's the best thing for the people that I care about? And of course, and then she can't help herself, you know, with the the jealousy that she feels as yeah. a result and Yeah, and she wants yeah. it both ways and she knows she can't have it. Mm-hmm. Either way, yes, yeah, and and she knows she's gonna screw herself. I and mean, if it the were if it were the torture 20, jealousy part, if it were is, the twenty first century, a hundred years, you know, if it's hundred years yeah. today, right? Yeah. I mean, they all could go off and have a little triad yeah. and be happily yeah, or polyamorous community. Or that yeah, matter, she know? could have a job and not, yes. you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> she could work at the gas and sip, and it'd be uh, fine. She could, she could get a job at Starbucks, send <laughs> yes. the money to her dad, yeah. you know. yes. Join yeah. a punk rock band. You never know. Yeah. Shave her head. Yeah. yeah. They could live, well, they couldn't live in Silicon Valley on his journalist no. sal- salary. They could live in Kansas. Yeah, they could, <laughs> they could live somewhere. Shout out to Kansas customers. Yeah. And well, actually, yeah, we have a friend now in Kansas. We do? Lindsay. Uh, no, no, she's in Tennessee. No, Kentucky. 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 Kansas? Kentucky. It's one of those K states. Yeah, it's a fly I'm drunk. Over. I'm drunk. Flyover state. Sorry. Uh, one other character I wanted to talk about is Millie. Um, and I really, I lo- okay. I love her because she's a redhead. Um, but Shocked. I, I know. Shut up. But do every redhead just get like a... A, a free pass, pass from me. Absolutely. It, can we We're, find like one... Let's find a movie with a really shitty asshole... Okay. Shittily okay. dressed okay. redhead. And okay. see if it flies with me. Okay. But I also That's like that she is multiple things, but that she's not a goody two-shoes. She's not mealy. She's not... I find she's not. Well, she's not... What's her fuck from Gone with the Wind, you know? Oh, Mel- uh, Melanie. Melanie, yeah. whatever. She, whatever. She, I like that she's kind of... That she's fun. She's relatable. She's down to earth. I like that she really, like, you know, has the connection with uh, Kate as well as Merton, blah, okay. blah, blah. I'm sorry. Tristan yeah. objects. You're, you're a sap because she's a redhead. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Millie is just... She is a goody two shoes. She's only there. She's there. She she's she fulfills a purpose, and it's a, obviously it's a great purpose because it moves the plot along. But as a character herself, I mean, she's she's just so open and generous and like unbelievably so. Frankly, she's like she she's like, oh, you're my best friend. Oh, I'm in love with you. Oh, oh, everybody is so wonderful. I love you. Oh. I have a point to that. Yeah. I have a point. And it's just because she's dying. What? No, no. Actually, it's funny because it's something that my my Brit- British friends have said to me about the character is kind of the generic character. Cliche American. Cliche American. Not not the obnoxious American who's wearing the other shoes and khakis. The other and a, cliche and a, American. You know, fanny pack or anything like that. It's it's the the idea that Americans are, and they kind of say this in the film too that 
uh, one of the characters remarks that they could tell that Millie yeah, was an American because of her, her smile and her, her laugh. laugh yes. mm. And that's kind of what I hear from my, my British friends in that, you know, you can always spot an American because they're the one with the open smile, the open attitude about, in you know, the welcoming. But. Except for Tristan. Henry, Tristan's like the shitty American. I am the That's true. So, but <laughs> Henry James is an American writer. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying that, that is something that's been backed up by I my, mean, you know, people he, we know. We have sources. He lived in both. And, All right, and he, Edmund. If you're listening to this, Bess. If you're listening to this, tell Edmund to to cite that because no, he said it. To I me. get that, <laughs> and, I, and I get that, and I get it is kind of a trope. I, I I know I understand that, and you know James. But I think that that was to say, you know, that 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 uh, Millie, of course, is is incredibly different in the same way, and especially in the film, you see this a lot. Millie is this very bright, light, adventurous. Let's do this. Let's climb these stairs and look at all these things and be adventurous. Um, and, and, and whereas the other, you know, the British characters are like, oh, no, 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 I possibly but it doesn't, possibly do it do- doesn't make her anything less than, you know, a, a, a character style as she's opposed very, to, I mean, she's, I would say, she's I like, like her, I think she's nuanced. I don't think she's, I don't think, I don't think she's, she's one dimensional, but I'm not saying she's as she has as much depth as Kate's character has. <laughs> no, I have, I, I, I like in the, the fact that she, if nothing else, on mm-hmm. some level, she knows things are going on between Kate and Merton. She's definitely sad. And yet she yeah. still is able to oh, fool herself. Do you really think she figures it out? Not that she figures it out. Especially in the movie. I, mean, I again, think she resists. I think she resists. I think she stamps it down. But I think on some level, she knows. Well, but she denies obvious. it. No, I think I'm pretty obvious in the movie. She knows exactly that there's something going on between Kate I don't Kate think she figures it but, out no, in a way. But I think, you know. I think the thing is, is she always knows that there's some sort of freeze on between the two of them. And she has plausible deniability right. until Lord Mark comes and tells her right. for sure. Right. And then, of course, at the very, when Lord Mark tells her, she basically forgives Merton uh, right, but and you know that well, just shows yeah. that, of course, that she's the she's quite, so like noble, good-hearted, no, dying no, well, woman, you know, character God, who's going noble. who's who's so oh, angelic oh, that she's gonna just oh, she's not ready for this world. This world is too no, bad, she's too, too, too bad. She, has, she must die. Yeah, oh. and apparently Tristan is vomiting all over her laptop. Right oh, now. Yes. God. Tristan's really a fan. Uh, but I, I did. I was not at it's all just because she's a redhead. I wasn't. I was not curly too. She had great hair. She did have a real. Everybody hair. had great hair in this movie. That's true. There was some really good hair in this movie. And great movie. turbans. Even like so Ramblin' didn't have her hair showing, had that beautiful turban. Yeah, so here's my thing about these movies. You know, we always talk about the costume designers, the people who have like the vision right. mm-hmm. that drives everything, but we never get to know like who does the hair. Who does those fabulous hairstyles? Who does the Who's hat maker? Yeah. Who does the shoes? Yeah, who does the gloves? You know, these people are like the, nameless. Faceless, the staff, the whole, the, the rest of the the, yeah, the supporting department. costume department that support these amazing. Because I've looked, directors. most of them aren't on IMDb. No. You get like maybe five names. If you know anyone who who does hair, makeup, you know anything for any of these movies and hats and you know the yeah. the the accessories kind of portion of things, all the rest of the stuff, we would love to hear names about so, these people that work on that. We know a couple. We yeah. know a, 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 a tiny amount of people that do these sort of like very amazing. Um, uncredited work and for costume. We have plans to interview them yeah. and, yes. and get that stuff out but to you guys. These are largely are unsung, and yes. I think that that's a real travesty because yeah. these are the people that are really that really kind of make up the details and the nuts and bolts. Well, of like one, why we love one example like that I think a lot of people might know about is on the um, BBC productions like Elizabeth R. Um, I can't even remember the credited uh, costume designer's name now, but Jean Hunnisett, mm-hmm. who wrote mm-hmm. the fabulous books that a lot of us use mm-hmm. for um, costume. 
uh, theatrical costume design, mm-hmm. um, she actually was one of the stitchers and, and bu- costume builders on some of those gowns that were recreating specific portraits. So there's one name, you know, uh-huh. who wasn't the credited designer. Mm-hmm. She wasn't the designer. She didn't run the shop. She didn't draw the designs, but she was in the shop building the gowns, um, you know, doing the fittings, doing, doing the research, doing the research, and wrote books about it. So because she wrote books, we that's how we and know it's her. One of those things so it's that, all those people. Well, who, and also that like, we don't know about for when all these I other first, movies. When I was first researching the filmings of the Dove, and I of course knew the film um, previously for having its beautiful Fortuna gowns, and I, I was thinking in my mind, you know, I knew Sandy Powell had had costume. It was the costume designer for it, um, and thinking, no, that was her. And then only in digging, yeah. you know, really actually digging, and I kind of stumbled across it accidentally, was uh, that the that this couple in Wales had actually supplied the Fortuny gowns yeah. for this. That's not stuff... Well, well, yeah. you know, Sandy Powell has this amazing vision who probably said, we want Fortuny gowns, let's go source them. Yeah. But the people that actually made them, I mean, I, that's that's an incredible thing that really deserves recognition. Exactly. And I feel like we don't, we, we don't know those people, yeah. and it's it's sad. And I really... <laughs> I feel like so sad about I it. I know. Well, it is. But I, I want to get people. back yes. to... We love okay. So we absolutely do. But now I would like to rave about their work and about Sandy Powell's work mm. because I would like to focus in on some of the costumes that we Certainly, love. Some okay, first of all, the, uh, there may be, okay, Tristan didn't love the one purple dress that Millie was wandering around in Venice. I didn't love that one. Yeah. Oh, no, that I, thought that, I thought that was like the that least, was Sarah. The least and, well and I question the fact that in the fine, one of the final scenes, Kate shows up to Merton's house and then disrobes and is wearing a corset with nothing on yeah, her. Yeah. No chemise, I think she no was drawers, just, no I think whatever. She was just there to DTF. Now that could be, yes, it could be but the equivalent still, be of, like a, chafing, of a know? raincoat, but it would not be comfortable. But she's other than a full that. dress over it when she walks in. I know, but that would the not be comfortable. I know. That's why. I'm, but, not, I'm, with, I'm with Kendra. But why I need, she got nothing on I, I need to talk about the hats. The hats <laughs> in this are fucking amazing. So fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. The so opening fucking scene amazing. where they're on the underground, she's wearing this amazing, amazing wide crown hat with this beautiful ribbed silk um, ribbed blue. It is ribbed for my pleasure. Blue bows and, and um, edging around it. And then she has these much shorter silhouette um narrow in the head toast toast oh, which are yeah, fabulous and then those. these like egret sprays and then in the so many birds die in for the, this film. <laughs> in the end there's this black sorry. hat that's like dripping with feathers and ribbons <sighs> that we were battling over it was that that hat was too big for Merton's little shabby room it bumped ac- against the door frame as she came in did it really it oh, did that, that was probably symbolic that. yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. But her penis is way too big the fucking her. hats were out fucking standing Oops. and then the dress I mean so many beautiful dresses and one of the I mean, it was interesting because we were debating those of us who like this style, and this is one of my like top three eras that I love. I really love this style and too. Partially, I don't even like this era, but this movie does it. <laughs> partially, it's the Orientalism, mm-hmm. which brings all these beautiful fabrics and jewel tones in. But I love an era like this, and actually, it's probably one of the things I like about 18th century, where you have a firm understructure and then a drapey thing going on over it. But that drapey thing doesn't work without that understructure, mm-hmm. and so the mm-hmm. the interplay between the two, mm-hmm. um, and they just do this so beautifully, God, beautiful. so I, many beautifully well, draped you know, can gowns. Can I just interject into this too, when we're you talking may. about those costumes that you guys both loved. You were also, you two, Kendra and Tristan, were able to identify at least one of the gowns that possibly was reused in oh, Downton, Downton Abbey. Abbey. Yeah, I know. So okay. I, yeah. I, I will totally look this up on the recycled costume, mm-hmm. uh, recy- recycled moviecostumes.com site, which is an fa- amazing site. Thank it's you. one of our favorites. One of our, fr- one of our friends. 
Um, because I, there's a, in the, one of the early scenes, um, a dinner, actually there's two dinners that she's, that Kate's at, where she's wearing a black dress where I could totally swear I've seen this dress it's, on Lady Mary. In it's Down all Abbey. black and has a V-neck and then it has sheer <laughs> sleeves and the sleeves yeah. are mm-hmm. a sheer black, but they've like been pleated or maybe they have a ribbon they have a or stripe. something. It's some it, kind it, of It forms a visual stripe. Yes. So, so one of the things too is, of course, Lady Mary. Yeah, Lady Cora. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Elizabeth McGovern. Sorry, is yeah. the, um, the companion, companion of Millie. Like okay. I know, I don't. Know. I haven't watched Downton Abbey either, yeah, we'll, except the first we'll episode. We'll work on that. I know. Um, but so she's she's. It's a relatively small role in this film. Um, but you know, well, Downton fans will be like, oh hey, yeah, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, again, movie costume recycling is huge because uh, you know you make all this stuff. You're not. You, they just trash it, you know. They just stick it in the in the in the, goes into know, angels. It goes into angels or cos yeah, cost cost prop, cost prop and, and then <laughs> western costume. Yeah, in LA, and and they and the yeah. next film. Oh, we're doing nineteen tens. Well, what have we got to stick on all the extras? You know? uh-huh. Oh, on extras. Oh yeah, that's the, yes. the scene um, where uh, Kate sets up a lunch um, for Millie and Merton, and Kate, uh, one, I, don't know, I remember one of them's walking in the door. This woman walks by. She's on screen for half a second. The back of her dress has this beautiful pattern of tiny little buttons mm-hmm. all up and down and this beautiful... It's gorgeous. And you just see the back mm-hmm. for a second. And she's an extra. She's, I thought, ooh, who is this mm-hmm. character? No, she's just walking out the door. You know, and a lot of the... Never see her again. Gorgeous! Yeah. And then a lot of the party scenes, mm-hmm. I was looking at, I mean, like the headdresses, the, all of that was so, so beautiful. And we also were really liking the the Venetian carnival mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Um, for sure, the leads were wearing great outfits. Um, uh, I think we both like... loved Kate in the, the Spanish bullfighter outfit. <laughs> yeah. But and, all, just wow. all and of the... Millie's Millie's dress, white. it's the white dress. It's an actually, and I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation, Asuit, A-S-S-U-I-T. It's a type of Egyptian textile that is horrifically expensive to get the originals but in the 19 especially in the 1920s but a little bit before that was incredibly popular with that whole egyptian revival um and she's wearing this white gown that's made out of this asuit material that's got the uh um hammered uh silver threads woven throughout it and the real deal the real stuff i mean that's that that fabric itself you know runs hundreds of dollars for for a panel you know a small (laughs) panel of it um, you can get reproduction stuff that isn't nearly as good, but you know it's it's still if you can find the actual stuff. But um, but yeah, and then also the the 18th century costumes. You know, it was very cool seeing it. Like if these were this was an 18th century movie, and we saw those 18th century costumes, we'd be like, holy crap, that's shit. But the fact that it's it's a 19th Tens, tens take and on it, take on it, and you're like, oh, it's cool. You know? It's costume. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of it's costume. You know, they're, just, they're wearing costumes, literally mm-hmm. costumes. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, again, we haven't really found anything we didn't like except for that one scene where she's wearing a corset with, no, with nothing under the it. The chafing corset. Mm-hmm. Yes, the yeah. chafing. Oh. And also, she's I only love... in it long enough yeah. to get undressed and shag. Yeah. What's also great, too, is that Sandy Powell and the many yes. highly talented craftspeople picked up on the both the sort of the drapey, orientalistic mm. uh, 
look, but also the tailored look. So there's oh, some yeah. fabulous yeah. layered suits, tailored suits, suits that I love. There are these, um, Helena Bonham Carter wears maybe the same one, maybe more than one, where it's a cutaway jacket and then these really long tails that go all the way down yes. to her hem in back and they're so cool. And then she has that blue velvet um, fitted coat with like fur bands and oh my God. And so the, these beautiful tailored pieces all mixed in as well. Oh, and Sarah was dying over um, Millie's cocoon coat. Oh, we love the, the green. green. Well, co- see, and I'm a big fan again of uh, Fortuny and also Poirot, oh, who yeah. also did, you know is well known at this period of time too for his cocoon silhouette. And um, the only thing that would have made my heart happier about this movie is that they'd actually included some of the the wacky kind of like short hoop skirts that Poirot the lampshade dresses. dresses. But they had a they had yeah. a lot of uh, the cocoon coats that were straight out of Poirot's yeah. uh, Poirot. Poiret. Well, just because Poirot is the, is the right, detective, okay, yeah. And I don't want people to. Which was which is said that yes, era a small too. a small fat Belgian guy who yes, yes. designs murders designs fabulous coats. Yes, but I was also going to say Kendra has actually made a dress based on one of the movie or one of the the uh, costumes in this film, and mm-hmm. we should talk a little bit about that maybe. Yeah, I made the uh, my own version of the uh, dress that Millie wears when uh, Kate tries to set them up for a lunch date. Um, and Merton bails because he realizes he's been set up. And she wears this beautiful, her version is a purple and uh, copper um, changeable silk uh, dress that then has a a belt and cuffs and inset in a brocade. And again, it's one of those really pretty draped, loose sort of gowns, but it then... Uh, over this fitted foundation and then the belt and things like that. We'll post Taylor a picture of in. it too. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that. Ogle yeah, the, uh, the beautiousness. Yeah, it's beautiful. Everything. So yeah, okay. So yeah. there were no, no, nothing distracted. Um, no, it was yeah. so good. Yeah, so, so good. Go watch it if you <laughs> haven't. You know, if you've seen it, watch it again. If yeah. you haven't seen it. Sit down. Don't have hand sewing. No. None of that. Because... The, you need to keep your eyes. It's a fabulous movie, but you will die over the visuals. <laughs> die. And it's a, it's a crime. It's kind of a crime that it lost out to, to Titanic. Really, it is. Titanic yeah. is not as inspired. I mean, Titanic has we'll some talk really about, good costumes, It's competent. But, yeah. It's perfectly competent, yes. but it... Just blows it out of the water. Well, no, absolutely. No pun intended. Okay, that too. Ha! Ah, yeah. yeah so. We'll get to that one in another date at some point. But, um... And we'll have some resources too, because I know again, yeah. Yeah, Kendra loves it. Yeah, Sarah, you Sarah has a ton about the Fortuny stuff. We'll post that on the blog uh, again. That's frockflix.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Look us up, Frockflix. Make sure to uh, subscribe on iTunes and uh, give, leave us some reviews on iTunes and uh, comment on our blog uh, if you liked it, if you didn't, if you want to correct all of our glaring omissions and and screw ups. You know, feel free to tell us we're full of shit. Totally. And we um, embrace that. And, yeah. and we welcome dissension. So, yeah. Get on it. Yeah. Find us. Find us online and uh, wait for our next podcast whenever and whatever that may be. Soon. So, thanks for listening. Bye.